0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 303 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Brian Hogan. Hi, everyone. Dave Kimura. Hey, everybody. Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Just a quick shout-out about Ruby Remote Comp. Uh, CFP is still open, and uh, early bird tickets are still available. At least I think they will be by the time this goes out. Um, We also have a special guest this week, and that is Carlos Chacon.
1: Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah. Do you want to give us a brief introduction, who you are, tell us about your podcast, stuff like that?
1: Sure. Um, so ultimately, I am, first and foremost, the uh, the first knuckle-dragger uh, here on the Ruby Rogues uh, podcast. And so I'm grateful to have that designation. Um, as you mentioned, uh, I do have a podcast. I'm focused on the SQL Server space which, again, might be a little strange uh, being here on the, on the open-source podcast, but hopefully we'll have some good discussions uh, about why, that's, why that is. Um, so I'm the managing partner of SQL Data Partners. We're a firm that uh, helps to provide managed services for SQL Server environments. We focus on performance tuning and data availability. So as your applications uh, grow, and all of a sudden you decide that you want to make it more available, so it can be uh, you know redundant things like that. We help organizations uh, with things like that. We have a podcast focused on SQL Server related topics, similar to this one, where we bring on guests and, and chat with them uh, about SQL Server topics called the SQL Data Partners uh, podcast. And um, yeah, so I'm I'm excited to be with you guys today.
0: Yeah, so uh, just to give a little bit of background, um, I met Carlos at Podcast Movement, and that's why I knew he had a podcast. That's (laughs) right. (laughs) So anyway, uh, we've been kind of exchanging emails back and forth, and I was like, you know what? It'd be really interesting to see how all of this interfaces together. It's also kind of funny to me just because over the last week or two, um, I think I've interviewed like three people from Microsoft uh, for various (laughs) shows. So it's like, oh, another Microsoft show. Um,
1: there you go. It starts start stalking you, and uh, yeah. that's that's how that's how they take you over, right? Yeah. Which reminds me, I should probably take another sip of my Kool
2: Aid here uh, before we get. To- yeah. <laughs> yeah, Chuck. I hope this doesn't become a trend.
3: <laughs> oh, this is all near and dear. This is this is all near and dear to my heart because the uh, the way I got started with Rails back in two thousand five was in an environment that was all Windows, um, and I had to jump through all kinds of hoops to prove that. We could use Rails in an, in a Windows environment on you know using SQL Server as our database, and so this all this all takes me back uh, because I remember using very early versions of the Microsoft SQL Server adapter for Rails and uh, and seeing how it evolved over the years, and it's just so this is just as this, this for me this is very cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just interesting you bring that up because in in preparation for the show and kind of looking at. Number one, how do people actually connect uh, Ruby to SQL Server? It, there was a lot of angst uh, about that. And that idea or that, you know, the thought that I want to install Rails and get a data repository up quickly mm-hmm. was not really, it, there were several hurdles to get there uh, to connect to, to SQL Server, you know, over the tried and true ODBC connection, particularly if you were coming from a Windows environment. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I think uh, we may actually be getting into this a little bit later, but that uh, how that the the free uh, TDS and then tiny TDS kind of came to be, and Ken Collins and his group making that available, so that now I think the connection to SQL Server is much much easier than it used to be. Yeah,
3: yeah. It, 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 Yep. For, it, yeah. for anyone who's whoever anyone who's ever lived through those those early days, uh, setting up a development environment. Was a, a day or so worth of work just to, and, and hopefully it would work. Hopefully, right. <laughs> hopefully it would connect.
0: I'm just going to so. chime in on that in two ways. One is is that I remember back in the day, I actually interviewed for a job where they used Rails and SQL Server, and I just I went through jQuery or jQuery, JRuby because uh, it had an ODBC driver that I could just plug into the thing, and that was the easiest way for me to set it up. Um, you yeah. also mentioned Ken Collins from the Tiny TDS team, and we're actually yes. going to talk to him in a few weeks. So we'll get the down and dirty on how the driver actually works because I'm I'm really curious to see how that all hangs together.
1: Yeah, and that's going to be a great interview. I, I actually talked with him quite at length again in preparation for this. Uh, great guy, very knowledgeable and uh, and super uh, entertaining as well.
0: So I kind of want to do a little bit of intro because, I mean, we've all kind of exposed our backgrounds to this in various ways. But, um, you know, a lot of people look at SQL Server and it's like, okay, so it's MySQL or PostgreSQL, except Microsoft makes it and only runs on Windows. And I know that all, all of those statements are not entirely true. Um, so, so Anymore, give, that's right. That's right. So give us kind of the, the, the pitch on why people should consider SQL Server over one of the open source
1: options. Right, so and th- and that was the big uh, you know, conversation or why, why would I even consider this? I had to pay for it. Uh, it wasn't on Linux. Uh, it wasn't open source. Um, you know all of these things were were kind of played in the mix. And ultimately as as I'm sure that you can you can attest to and in, in, in some of your conversations, we've seen a shift in Microsoft and uh, and kind of what they're going after, ultimately and them being able to to build up Azure. And kind of the, the the platform in the cloud they know they recognized that they needed to offer services beyond their their own uh, their own applications and so they began to embrace uh, different uh, you know competitors and in, in the open source uh, the open source movement and so uh, the other thing at least in the data space is that you know, from the relational perspective, you know, tables, asset compliance, you know, foreign keys. I mean, this this technology is 50 years old at this point, right? I mean, it kind of seems like old hat almost. And what is the new hotness is all in the data science space. And so, in, it was 2015, I remember seeing a, a, re, a report uh, that in the analytics uh, data science arena, Uh, MySQL was actually the number one database at the time. And I think specifically because it was open source, you you could download a user for free. I think a lot of people were just asking questions. They weren't necessarily using it in large enterprise ways, if you will. And so so they didn't want to have to make a big investment into being able to try to answer these questions to see if, Hey, this makes sense to move forward. Let's let's you know. Let's blow this thing up. Let's make it bigger. Uh, have people support it. So in 2016, uh, we have several versions before that. Uh, you know, 2012, 2014, 2016. You'll see the, the release cycles have started to to get uh, much closer together. They've started introducing V Next um, as well. And so with 2016, they introduced several features that focused on this analytics space. And they made a big announcement with the with Service Pack 1. So there's a little bit of confusion, uh, just to be clear. So when they announced 2016, all these features weren't available, but in the fall of last year, they announced Service Pack 1. And then they basically said, hey, all these, what these were enterprise features, we're gonna push these back all the way into the local DB and express versions. Oh, wow. So now you can get enterprise features for free because the express version is free. Now there is a, a there's a limit there. Your database can only be 10 gigabytes in size, but again, that idea of I just want to test something, see if it works, right? Start asking some questions. Maybe I have a subset of data, those types of things. Now I have a, a an enterprise database architecture that has lots of great. Uh, analytics features inside that I can get uh, for free, and so that is kind of the play or the uh, what I hope you'll find compelling about now considering SQL Server is that as your database grows, uh, you're going to have better support. You're going to have all of these these whiz bang features um, that you might not have in some of the other the other environments.
0: All right, so let me tee you up an easy one. So okay. all, all I have to do is fire up a Windows machine, and you can just stop me right there and tell me it runs on more than mm. Windows.
1: So that was the other big announcement, is they uh, introduced SQL Server on Linux. And it is now supported. So as they, again, it's kind of this next. So they continue to roll out uh, additional versions of Linux that they'll support. So currently they support Red Hat, Red Hat Enterprise Linux, uh, Ubuntu,
2: and SUSE Linux, with more
1: supposedly on the way.
2: And is that uh, just the Express version, or is that their full enterprise as well?
1: Yeah. So what you'll get there, you, you so you get all the versions. What you're what you're getting, however, is just the database. So again, if you're if you're used to seeing it on the Windows version, you might be used to playing with different features. They're not baked in, but they're. Normally, they can be installed or they're included with, if you will, uh, SQL Server. Things like the SQL Server Integration Services, the ETL component, or the SQL Server Agent. Those things are not yet ported over to to Linux. So all you're getting is the database itself, uh, you know, so the tables, you know, foreign keys, things like that. But then you're also getting all of the all those other features that are in the database, a la you know, row level security, snapshot, partitioning, compression, in-memory OLTP—all of those types of things are, are included. And then, from an availability perspective, if you're looking at like high availability groups or something like that, th- that's also supported as well. So, lots of lots of neat things um, that are that are now available in the lower versions, um, so that you can do that. You know, analysis that hey, let me try this out. Uh, see what happens, and then as it as it grows um, and you need to go to a different version for sizing or whatever reason, uh, you'll have a, a better migration path, or at least Microsoft ho- hopes you feel that you have a better migration path there.
0: So one thing that I'm thinking about with this is that um, if I already have an application and I've already set it up on PostgreSQL or MySQL, and I'm thinking, well, some of these analytics features look really nice, and it seems reasonably simple to get that set up. You know, do I just migrate? You know, do I set up a second database and just store some of the data over there, or you know, set up some kind of connection so that it transfers some of the data over there, or, or is is yeah. there a way to it, use that?
1: I, so. Yeah, there are a billion and one different configurations, right, for your data. And we're seeing that even on the on the relational side, so even the MySQLs and, you know, Postgres of the world are are answering or having to field questions about, well, what about Mongo, right? What about Elasticsearch? What about, uh, you know, some of these other, you know, JSON-based applications or databases that, you uh, from a scale perspective seem to just be a lot easier, right? I don't necessarily care about, um, you know, if I lose some data, for example, eh, no big deal, right? If I lose some YouTube comments, right? The world might actually be a better place, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Instead of, you know, from a transactional perspective is, you know, I deposit that hundred dollars into my bank. I want my bank to make sure that it sees that uh, and I don't lose that information. So, you know, again, that's, that's why it, it will all depend on what it is that you're looking to do uh, with that environment. You're, I think you're going to start to see applications or I mean, even organizations, right? You know, it used to be kind of Oracle and SQL Server, right? Maybe they'd have Postgres or MySQL, right? Some of these relationals. You're going to start to see more and more data repositories there just in general because they do different things They have different focuses, um, and so, you know, is it worth moving all that data over to SQL server? Again, it's going to depend on kind of where you are on the project, uh, the goals for the, the analytics. Again, maybe you, maybe you keep all that data in the engine that you, that you currently have. You bring over subsets of that, uh, you know, a day's worth, a week's worth, a quarter's worth, whatever that is. And then you can use SQL server to start attacking, uh, some of that data from the analytics perspective, and potentially using the tools that may or may not uh, hook up with your repository that you're currently using, but do have a SQL Server interface. So, so
3: that's approaching. You know, that's a, that's approaching it from the side of I I I'm building a product or I'm building a new thing, and you know, what, what advantages does it have to me? Sure. Uh, the other side of things is is a situation that you know, that I was in where I wanted to use. Uh, my Ruby stuff. I wanted to use it with the existing database systems they had. I wanted to migrate systems over, oh, uh, and sure. just just and just being able, just having this available, having this this, this database available uh, for exploration, having it available in the in the the limited, you know, the the ten gigab uh, ten gigabytes database size is limiting for a, a large enterprise application, but it certainly is enough for the for the Rails developer. To get comfortable with it, to practice with it, to become uh, familiar with that database, just as if they were familiar with an Oracle database or familiar with a Postgres database, just right. because it makes you, it makes the developer more marketable. Uh, it makes them able to slide into other situations. Uh, they no longer have to be uh, necessarily worried about taking on a contract with an, with an organization that, you know, if they're a freelancer – would they turn down jobs because they, that organization happened to use Microsoft SQL Server? This gives them uh, the ability to to play around with it and see uh, that hey, it's not that difficult and it's it's it works well and there are some great benefits to doing so.
1: Sure. And then to play nicely in that organization, so you yeah. have to roll in and be like, "Hey, guys." Uh- Thanks for all those SQL servers. I'm going to install my MySQL over here, and you know, you guys have to then support it or whatever. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, that,
3: that doesn't that doesn't really fly well in those kinds of organizations. Trust me, it doesn't. It doesn't work out well to anybody's benefit. You can, no, if true. if you can, if you can, uh, a lot because a lot of times what I what I've experienced, and 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 someone else can chime in too, but what, a lot of times what I've experienced is that maybe you're maybe there is a new application, a new a new internal intranet application. But there's existing data in the SQL Server databases that you want to access, and so so you you kind of have two routes. One is, well, come up with some kind of replication strategy to export those to a to a MySQL database, and and that's really kind of a hard road to to go down. Mainly because of data integrity, and the the the, the DBAs who are managing the enterprise databases really aren't that keen on exporting all that data out of those databases.
1: Yeah, you're you're giving them another task that they then yeah, have to support. Yeah, you're
3: giving them another task they have to support. They have to keep it up to date. What if their application doesn't work? What if it doesn't fail? Um, and, and so one of the things that we had always had success with was we we would run we would run like the bulk of the applications on the on the MySQL databases, but we would have another active record connection. We'd have some of the models actually talking. Directly to SQL Server views or SQL Server tables, um, mm-hmm. and and you know, there 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 are some really nice strategies out there for. you know, ag- Active Record doesn't have to be connected to just one database backend. There are lots sure. of ways to connect to multiples, so it's a, it's a great way to kind of extend it. Especially again, you know, talking directly to, to people listening who are consultants, this really is a great uh, a great thing to explore to help you get into some of those um, more enterprise areas that are doing things with rails because they often have bigger budgets and they often pay their bills on time
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's always nice you know (laughs) (laughs) well and it's it's funny right so in technology we always talk about you know things changing and and maybe the open source community so admittedly right you're you know, you, you're the audience is a it's a slightly different community than than what I'm used to, uh, being the you know, again the knuckle dragging uh, d- database administrator. Um, but it's funny how how much we hate change sometimes, right? And so we and particularly we talk about a new application, right? The new processes. It's like ugh, right, my job is changing, things are changing. I'm going to be expected to do more or different things. Uh, this this is going to allow you to you know, to make that ecosystem a little more familiar and make that change a, a little bit easier. That pill to, a little bit easier to swallow.
0: Yeah, I will say though that I'm sure some of our listeners are sitting here going, "I am never ever ever going to use SQL Server." But um, <laughs> I it's funny because I talked to the other day. I've been doing phone calls with people um, about finding a better job, and you'd be surprised mm-hmm. how many people out there are unhappy with their job for one reason or another. Oh but, sure. But anyway, um, I had one guy, he worked for a university that's, you know, it's a state-run university, and he basically said, you know, we use SQL Server and Oracle here exclusively. And it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's those large enterprise clients, you know, like Brian pointed out, that, you know, they're getting what they really want from these databases, and they have experts in how to run them because Oracle and Microsoft certify people on how to
3: use them. And so... No, exactly. Um, well, and there's before and before you go on there's another thing that I want everyone to understand especially one of the things that was brought up early on is that oh it it's it's pricey but right. in almost in almost every organization I've ever worked in or worked with that happens to have a SQL server license they're not paying for it it's part of a, a big enterprise license that yep. that it's sort of like an add-in for their uh, for their for their desktop machines and their server licenses, and so there they, there's it's such an insignificant price tag compared to what they're paying for their large enterprise support all-in-one Microsoft, where they have an internal MSDN connection, and if you need to spin up a SQL Server, you just go and log into the MSDN site and download the license, <laughs> and install it. So it so they're not on the same level as the open source guy who's like, well, but but my is free, your Postgres is free. To them, sure. SQL Server is free. Right. And that's yeah. a state of mind that, I, that I, I wanted to make sure I interjected before you, before you continued. So I want to make sure everyone's on the same page with that. For most of those cases where you're in those environments, especially universities and, and hospitals and those that, they're not paying for SQL Server.
2: And not to mention, when you go to Amazon uh, RDS or Azure, the price is a lot more affordable, so you don't have to pay that bulk license up front. You can just use a hosted instance.
0: Yeah, in that case, sure, you're sure. essentially paying for bandwidth and storage. And so if you don't have a 10-gigabyte instance, that's fine. You just pay for the 2 gigabytes of data you have in there. And so, yeah, it does become a lot more um, cost-effective. But, yeah, I was talking to this guy from the university, and, you know, um, he basically... We were talking about how do you specialize, and I'm like, look, there are a whole bunch of other organizations who are essentially doing what you're talking about. And, you know, so, yeah, specialize on the SQL server stuff and he's like do you think there are companies out there that are doing it and I said I guarantee it <laughs> because if, oh, yeah. if if that's if that's their tool of choice and it's solving their problem and they want to adopt ruby or rails in their organization because they see some advantage to it you bet that the, they're going to push it onto oracle or sql server or something like that and so you know sure. there there are people out there in these large enterprises that are doing exactly what we're talking about
1: and I think the ability to be able to find people to support it, that pool is just much much larger, uh, still. Right. So I'm, I live in Richmond, Virginia, and, and Richmond is a big small city, right? Mm-hmm. And and so you know, finding the expert level talent in the MySQL or Postgres, I mean, not too many, right? You could. I mean, less than two hands probably in the whole city. Uh, that that are that are going to give you that. Whereas with SQL Server, right? There's just more. There's more people. Yep. And the and the and I think just like so you know the the open source community. So having podcasts like this, I guess I can't. Speak speak, I don't mean to badmouth the other database platforms, right, as I again drink my Kool-Aid here, but the SQL Server community is probably the largest and friendliest of the database communities available, and so that, that ability to get up to speed or get your questions answered, uh, is just, it's just easier.
0: Well, it's quite a bit more cohesive and Microsoft puts on events that include stuff for those for SQL Server. So, you know, the training is easy to come by because you just go to one place to get it. Um, But yeah, so I'm curious, um, just changing gears here a little bit because we've talked Mm -hmm. about the community and we've talked about some of the capabilities. So let's say that I want to fire up a a Rails app and I want to connect it to SQL Server. Um, is, Is there a good, easy way to set that up? I mean, do I just apt install it on my Ubuntu server or pull down a Docker instance or... Uh, yeah,
1: so I'm, I'm going to point you, and which we'll make sure we have in the show notes, it's not, so in actually talking with Ken, he has been working with Microsoft, uh, they, they flew him out to you know, to get questions, they're, they're looking at trying to integrate better in the Ruby community, and so they're actually going to be posting uh, uh, on the website, they're going to have step-by-step instructions on how you can use Ruby and connect to SQL Server. It's not quite up just yet, but I'm expecting it. It will be. It will be posted, you know, any day, and that's what I would point people to, uh, you know, to get started. Admittedly, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a Ruby guy, um, and so I think you know, for, for those kinds of questions, I would defer to Ken or, you know, the, the documentation that's there. But that should be. That, but that should be coming. There are other. The other languages are out there, you know. So the Java,
2: Node.js, PHP,
1: Python, and R. Are currently there. Uh,
2: Ruby will be coming here shortly. Yep. Yeah. The support for my are. Sorry, the support for Microsoft SQL has definitely come a long ways in the past few years. I remember a few years ago, I was writing an application and, you know, I really didn't have many requirements. And I was deciding what environment I wanted the database to be hosted in. You now split between MySQL, Postgres or Microsoft SQL. And I tried Microsoft SQL out uh, using some of the adapters available and it just crashed and burned. I had so much trouble. But then about sure. a year ago, I tried it again on a different application where I, where we had an existing Microsoft SQL database, and I needed to get data out of there using a Windows service. So I wrote a Ruby Windows service to get the data out of there and then to push it over to another application. And that was uh, much, much more successful. So it's definitely come a long ways in even the recent years. So you know, if you have been sure, burned by it in the past, check it out again.
3: It's, it's funny because um, the, the place so we, we had we were successfully running rails applications uh, from t- using SQL server uh, in 2005, all the way to 2012 when I left. and the people who yeah. still work there are continuing to run those those same applications now. Uh, and they really the only issue I've ever encountered. Was was where the permissions on the database table would get set incorrectly during a database migration. That that was literally the only and and, and when that happened, when that happened, the whole thing fell down hard. Seg faults, crashes, <laughs> everything It was the weirdest thing. And we we eventually tracked it down to, to permissions and who was the database owner of the database. Once we worked all that out, it was consistent. But if we we would forget every now and then when staging a new a new, a new app. And then it would just blow up. We're like, "Why did we use SQL Server? This is such yeah. a horrible choice." Oh, that's <laughs> right. It's that permissions thing again. Okay, well, we're good. <laughs> but it is—it is—it is. Is, it is really interesting. I, I think out of, out of a lot of places that we put it through its paces uh, quite a bit, I'm trying to do the, the world's worst things with it. Um, <laughs> with you know, this is this was, is was before the free TDS stuff was available. Sure. Um, and so it was like once we got it set, you didn't touch it. Once you get the the driver set and the configuration set and you get all the ODBC stuff set up, you just you didn't touch it Uh, and you sort of feared, oh, we have to upgrade the OS on that machine. What's that going to break? But, you know, now now it's uh, it's so easy to get your to get your Linux machine talking to an existing Microsoft SQL Server database. Um, It's just it's it's it's, it's so many thank yous to to Ken and everybody else. Who's made it so easy to do now compared to the way it was.
0: It's funny. The way you're talking about this, it reminds me of trying to explain to my kids the days when we had like the old antenna TVs, right? And it's like you, you move the antenna and then you kind of back away slowly and hope that it – you know. yep, yep and, and, yep. and now we just have a coax cable that runs into the
3: back of the TV and no problems. Yep. <laughs> sure. That's, that's exactly what it is. We, um, you know, I, I may have I may have wrapped database connection with tinfoil a couple times,
2: you know. Yeah. <laughs> so Brian, what? I have a question for you around your SQL experience in Ruby. <laughs> um and this is just, you know, kinda of throwing out there because you know, I've used MySQL for uh, several years, but you know, I've never ever used Storage Stored procedures within MySQL, and I know those are like, abundantly common in Microsoft SQL. Sure, so, yeah. did you guys use a lot of um, stored procedures when you had you know, access to yeah. Active Record?
3: Yes, we, we, would, we would use it because one of the things that you learn really quickly about Rails is uh, you know, it's a, you know a really bad idea taking 20,000 records uh, and shipping them off to your Rails application so you can iterate over them in a for loop. When you, could just, <laughs> when you could just write a stored procedure and iterate over, you know, 90,000 or, or a million records in a stored procedure at the database level without shipping it off over the network. So we would do a lot of our transactional things. Uh, we do a lot of our reporting things in a stored procedure simply because the, the volume of data we were working with was a lot of data. Um, I, I don't like the idea of stored procedures on a, on a programming level because I, I, it, it's weird to have logic in more than one place. Um, but that's easy enough to solve when you, see just, when you just see the value of, wait, why are we shipping all these records off when we can just do the, do the calculations, do the, do the logic here? Uh, and you, solve, you, you reconcile the versioning with just put, just put your stored procedures in your Git repository along with the rest of the code and have a way to deploy those to your database server when you deploy the application um, but yeah I, I, there are certain things where it it makes sense to just use active record but there are these cases where it just doesn't make sense so I'm not going to say always store procedures but I'm also never going to say never store procedures look for those those cases where it really made sense we use the heck out of them I mean, we wouldn't go to the point where we say, "Oh no, if we're going to get data from a table, we're going to use a stored procedure." That would that would be ridiculous and silly. Um, we would use a lot of views. Like I, I would use a lot of views and then make Active Record treat them as tables. I would do a lot of that. Um, but uh, definitely uh, stored procedures. The one thing I wouldn't use were triggers. I, I refuse to use triggers because I didn't like I didn't Good like man. having I didn't like having to explain to people like, "Hey." You just insert a record into this database. I didn't like having to explain that there's secret stuff going on that you didn't that you didn't notice. But, but yes, absolutely. A lot of I would use a lot of stored procedures.
0: It's funny. I generally feel the same way about callbacks in active records. So, and it's kind of the same thing. So,
1: the two lines, the two camps, right, of the developer and then the the data team. And if you're if you have a SQL Server and you're, I'll say lucky enough. Uh, to work with you know a team that's kind of responsible for for the database, you know take advantage of that. Um, yes, that was going to require some communication, right? Some some <laughs> some interaction. Uh, I think your 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 suggestion, you know, Brian, or your your point where you talked about the the database owner changing, right? So yeah, from the database perspective. We'd be like, oh, best practice, right? Like, I want to make sure that it's not a domain user or something like that, right? I'm going to change it to a a local account that it won't get locked out, so I won't have problems or what or whatnot. As a database person, I, you know, I might not think twice about that. I'm going to need some some communication uh, to know that, hey, you know, don't touch that. It's there for this reason. Uh, kind of getting into the storage of procedure question, right? Is kind of kind of very similar. And I almost kind of liken it almost like to to dodgeball, um. And, you know, so we're all geeks, and we you know we played dodgeball in you know in high school, and we're the last guy, and you know there's the you know <laughs> we're the last man standing, and you have all the jocks right that you know that have, you know the the, the balls, and they're just ready to to peg us. Sometimes as a database guy, we feel a little bit like that because we can spin up multiple uh you know nodes from the website but here we are, we're just the one database try, trying to, you know, to, to get all these requests, you know, dodge the balls, if you will, or, you know, get the data back and forth. And sometimes we will we'll handicap, if you will, the database and not let it use all the tools that are available to it to give us, to let us have the best experience. Stored procedures is, is kind of one example. And again, so Brian said, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. There are some advantages to using the stored procedures. Not having the data move across the wire, you know, is is a great example. Another one that I uh, f- routinely run across is uh, foreign keys, right? So,
2: <laughs> yeah, I think
1: for a lot of time developers are gonna be like, "Oh, foreign keys, are a pain, right? They make me, you know, I have to think about the order in which I, you know, insert my data and whatnot." Well, you're gonna
3: well, think about it at some point. You know, really? You're yeah, going to think about it now, when you're developing the application, or you're going to think about it later on when you're reconciling why some of your data is still hanging around and others are missing. <laughs> you're going to think about, you're going to do that thinking. It's just a matter of when you do that thinking. Trust well, me. and and the other exactly. issue
0: is is that Active Record kind of does its own foreign key magic, and so I, I see yes. people basically use the the magical Active Record name for the field, and then they don't set up foreign keys in their database. And I'm I'm hoping you can explain why that actually makes a difference in your, in your database beyond maybe just data integrity.
1: Sure. So so data integrity is a big deal, right? And Brian kind of mentioned like, Hey, you know, you you can, you you can try to put that into the application, but then you're, you're relinquishing the rights the database has to, to ensure that that, you know, the, the data integrity is there. Um, the other component is, so, and I'm trying to think of a good example, but you start making some assumptions. And I don't know if, if there is a default folder uh, you know, or default location. When I install Rails, I'm going to start making some assumptions about where things are, right? So maybe yep. my library folder, things like that, right? Now, maybe as a good programmer, I'm always going to want to check that assumption before I just plow through. And you know, and get an error, but because I'm going to be making some assumptions, I'm going to decrease the need to interact with the with the user, because I'm going to check these things first. I kind of liken that a little bit to to the way the foreign keys work, is that because of those relationships, and they're intact, because it is possible to to create a foreign key and then turn it off. Well, that foreign key is then of no good, is is of no use from From that perspective, but the database, when it's doing joins and and creating that that execution plan to bring back the data, it can start making some assumptions because, hey, you know what? I have this foreign key. I know this relationship. I recognize and understand the data that's in these two is in these two tables. Therefore, I can start to do some things that's going to help speed up that process. And that's probably the the biggest reason. Again, it's kind of behind the scenes. It's very in the weeds, um, but also very, very important. Particularly when you start talking about your data sets growing larger and larger. So.
0: yeah, that makes a ton of sense. You know, you're you're basically telling the the database this is how all of the data is structured, and then yeah, it can go ahead and make some assumptions, and you know, it, it can load stuff into memory, it can speed stuff up, um, and, and it right. can do all this this work. It's similar with ind- indexes. For the same in the same way, right? Because you're telling it, I'm going to look things up by this, and so it pre- prepares itself to do all that work ahead of time. Uh, put it in, you know, places where, like memory, where it can access mm-hmm. it quickly, and then it just does its thing, and it does it a whole lot faster.
1: Well, yeah. So important note: SQL Server reads everything from memory. Okay. And if it's not in memory, it has to go get it, pull it into memory, and then it will do something with it. So it does and some kind so, of caching. Yeah, well, so it mean the, the, the cache, so the the buffer cache is where it's going to keep that information. So what the index will allow me to do generally is to keep less information about a table, so the hot data if you will. Right? So I have a table that's 10 columns wide, but I'm normally only using 5 of those columns instead of having to keep the whole table in memory. And available, I can only keep the five columns. It reduces the amount of memory that I need to uh, to to service the most amount of queries. And so, so that's the, that's that idea. Um, I know a lot of times, in and in, 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 uh, active um, active record has this option, you know, for optimistic locking. And I know I think that a lot of times developers probably rush a little too quickly to try to push that optimistic locking or turn that on Mm -hmm. when they could probably spend a little bit more time thinking about their indexes, what queries get run the most. And again, potentially engaging the the data team, engaging the data team to say, Hey, let's you know, can you help me out? Let's come up with the best mix of objects and, and give the best tools to my database so that it can then do what it does best, and and then I can only get the data that I need. Things like that.
3: This is this is the the periodic reminder for all developers to, no matter what database system you're you're using, go and learn about how it manages memory and how it manages queries and how its query cache works. Uh, sure. There's a lot of fun lessons to learn from that because all the all the databases sort of do that. Um, at, at some level, and they all kind of do it differently, and they all run queries a little differently too. But if you've got a database, if you've got a database you're going to use for your app, learn how learn how it works, and learn how to take advantage of the way that it works. You, you'll you'll find some wonderful ways to save some time.
1: Yeah, exactly, and, and I think to, to that point, because the creation of index indexes beyond the initial, uh, you know, primary keys, you know, things like that. It takes time. It takes effort. Uh, some of the tools that are now available in the new, newest version of 2016 will allow you to more easily identify those queries that are running most frequently. And while there's still a little bit of art to it, um, you can it, it will it will tell you, hey, you, I think you should be creating these indexes. And that, uh, again, that and those analytics are getting much better, and you're going to be able to create the, the best indexes uh, for that database. Now, there, there is a downside, right? So too many indexes, you're just going to overwhelm the database. You're creating more copies than you need. And the other thing that I want to make sure I throw out there, again, using my, my good DBA hat, is that when you create an index, you are also in creating a responsibility to take care of that index, it needs care and feeding, and if you neglect it, uh, you're going to see the you're going to see some downsides further further on uh, as the data grows and changes and, and things like that. Does, so so does, it's, it's does, definitely helpful, but it, it does require some uh, some it, it needs some help as well.
3: What do when what, what kinds of things should we be doing with those kind with those indexes? When you say care and feeding, what kinds of things does that mean? We should be looking for.
1: Yeah. So at at the at a minimum, uh, your index maintenance, uh, so rebuilding uh, or, or uh, reind- you know, re- re-indexing, rebuilding or reorganizing those indexes. Now the frequency uh, can you know can can change. There are some good uh, again. This is a, probably a little bit more in the weeds, but Ola Hallengren scripts are kind of a community go-to um the guys over at minion uh db the midnight dbas they've put together some scripts as well kind of in that that same that same idea that will go out you can run on a nightly basis and it's going to investigate those indexes a little bit and say okay based on your fragmentation level what should i do that will take the least amount of time to provide the most benefit to the index um you know at a minimum once a week, you should be, you know, going through that. You're going to need to look at your your window of when it's going to cost the least, cause the least amount of resistance uh, or friction. Uh, obviously, if you have data loads or whatnot, you're going to want to avoid that uh, because you can, as those indexes get rebuilt, you are going to cause some some locking there. Um, so again, there there is some some planning that needs to happen, but but those are the things. They're built into SQL server through the maintenance plans uh, that is available. Just be careful. And we actually talked about this on one of our episodes, for whatever reason, the way that GUI presents index rebuilding in the maintenance plan is the least effective way (laughs) to rebuild those indexes. Um, Because ironically, if you just go in, you just start checking. Oh, yeah, I want to take care of my all my index maintenance stuff. It will re- it will duplicate some of the work, or and in some cases uh, negate some of the pr- previous work that was done. So unfortunately, that's just that's one of those uh, things that you you know ask somebody right. Do a little Stack Overflow, do a little Googling, uh, take a peek at what the best process is there. But at least think about that and start putting those in place.
0: Right on. All right. Well, I want to be mindful of time. I know that uh, there are some time constraints that we need to be aware of. Um, one last thing that I want to go to with this is how do you actually put it into your Rails app? Do you just – is Tiny TDS the driver, and does Active Record just know how to use that? Or is that something that we need to dig into with Ken in a few weeks?
1: Yeah, so Ken's going to give you the best terminology there. The way that he kind of described that to me – is that it is you know a part of those those gems, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so as you you're, you're going to get Active Record, right? You're going to need free TDSD, uh, and then you can install Tiny TSD, and that's going to give you the the connection there to SQL Server. But he'll be be able to explain that much more eloquently, right? Once your uh, data you know gets bigger and you're having problems with it, then of course that's where I can come in and we can talk all day long about that stuff. All right, um, it, it is interesting, I guess just to, so maybe some some numbers like kind of going back to that point of well who's really going to be using SQL Server? Uh, now I don't have the numbers for MySQL, um, but on rubygems looking at those those adapters, for SQL Server, there are 1 point two million downloads uh, for Oracle. I think there was, we were around like four hundred thousand. Um, again i don 't have the numbers the numbers from mysqL so in my mind that 's a I mean, that 's a significant number uh right of one point two million downloads of folks trying to use Ruby that are then going to be making those connections to SqL server um
3: i'm i 'm sure i 'm personally responsible for about hundred thousand of those Just <laughs> trying of trying to reset up the stupid development machines <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, there you go. So you can still so knocking ten uh, percent of that off. You know, we're we're still at a still at a million downloads. Um, so uh, you know, again, there there are people using it. You won't be using it in isolation. Um, I, I guess I, I will say again from the SQL community. You know, we won't we don't bite. Uh, reach out to us so that there are lots of those those forms. Um, you know, like most things on the internet, you're going to get lots of different opinions, and uh, unfortunately, it does really depend. On your specific environment, uh, uh, on, on what your needs are as to how you're going to tackle a specific problem. Uh, so don't don't get frustrated if you know you you get some advice it doesn't quite work as well as you were hoping. Um, again, lots of ways to skin to you know, skin those rabbits, if you will.
3: Yeah, I, I would say one of my one of the things that I do miss a lot uh, from from the time I spent with with SQL Server was I. I, I I haven't used them in so long. They've changed the name of them, but they used to be way a long time ago called these things called the DTS packages. And we used a lot of them for doing imports. And I know they still exist. But if you have other kinds of databases you have to integrate with, and you need to pull a bunch of data together into a database, the tooling that SQL Server provides, at least on Windows, is just it's incredibly cool. Yes. Uh, and there there was there was there's some great there's some great use cases for being able to pull. Different databases together and treat them as if they were just a single database, uh, and that alone it has solved some significant problems for me in the
1: past. Sure. That 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 DTS functionality that you mentioned is now what we call SQL Server Integration Services. Yeah. Okay. And and you know those SSIS packages.
3: Right. Right. I couldn't remember what they were called because I stopped using it in like 2012. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. yeah. That's yeah. They're uh, they're 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 definitely something worth looking into. That is there. There are other there are other tools that that can do that, but I've never found any that work as well as the ones inside of SQL Server. Hmm. We we used to we used to use them. I'm not kidding. We used to use them to just we used to use one SQL Server as a replicant, a, a way to pass through uh, to to migrate data from one other database to another. We just used to just drag it through SQL Server because it was we'd get better results than if we were to like an ad hoc ad hoc scripting. So interesting. It's interesting. It's, it's really powerful stuff that you don't really think about because you think oh it's a, it's a database and that's just tables and that's just tables and and um and and keys and it's like no no you, you got to think about the power the the, the power that it, the way its views work uh, the way that its stored procedures work or the way the way the other right. features work that uh, you, you leave and this is this is honestly true with a lot of database servers you leave so much on the table if you don't if you don't learn about the database you're using so i, I, I encourage you to, to no matter what you're using learn about it but yeah if you ever have the need to uh to do some 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 data migrations it's not a bad place to, to look is is the the SSIS the SQL server has
1: now i guess i will throw out a caution particularly for those who are going to take a peek at the express edition um, i need to double check but all of the features around the the that ETL may not be available out of the box you might have to do some configuration uh, but, but they are there and they're again they're kind of packaged with SQL server. I mean from a, from a database perspective, we almost think of them as synonymous, but they are two two separate tools you know yeah so doing all that that ETL and uh, makes it much easier.
0: Super cool. well, um, let's go ahead and get to some pics. actually, before we do that, um, Carlos, do you want to just sure. remind people how they can follow you on Twitter or you know, see what you're working on these days. Is, is the best place to go sure. SQL Data Partners or something else?
1: Yeah, well, thanks again for having me on the program today. Uh, I, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, so catching up with me, SQL Data Partners uh, is the name of uh, my organization. So I've actually put out a, another site as well. So Zero to SQL. This is something as, as a site kind of dedicated for those learning the SQL language. Now you can think select star, right? So, for, so from that perspective, kind of moving forward, um, you can, you can contact me there. Uh, I am on Twitter at Carlos El Chicone. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'd love to, uh, love to chat with you.
0: All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Um, Brian, do you
3: want to start us off with picks? Sure. I just have one pick this week. It's a iOS application. Uh, called Launchpad. It's by Novation, and it's a music making application. But it's free, and anyone can use it. And it's just clip based. Uh, it's a fun little diversion uh, that comes with a few wonderful, wonderful sample packs. And it's 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 something something that anybody, even if you don't have, if you, even if you don't feel you're creative, it's a really neat way to to put some music together. Uh, but I, it, the reason it, it came front to mind is that my uh, my godson, uh, who's he's just just close to two um he his dad was looking for something kind of like that and i thought you know that let's just try this see how it works and uh the, the kid can't put it down so i guess i could say launch pad is fun for children of all ages whether you're uh you know uh, a baby or you know uh, a big kid like me
0: all right dave what are your picks
2: um well, this week I have uh, more power tools. Yeah. So uh, I just got this uh, uh, framing nailer, like this DeWalt 20-volt thing. This this thing is amazing, like just a power in your hands to like shoot a <laughs> nail. It's pretty awesome. Um, and then popcorn oh, chicken is my second, uh, second pick because that's what I ate for lunch today. And got it from Costco. Uh, it's a pretty awesome Purdue popcorn chicken and then gitlab is my uh real one uh my real pick it is a self-hosted or you can use their online version but uh i have a self-hosted gitlab version and it's been pretty amazing uh i love having my own hosted repository that i have control over and it's written in ruby on rails as well um and while we're at it you know i'll throw out jira I've been using Jira quite a bit lately, and just the whole um, Altessian, uh product lineup, you can get for like $10 per product for a 1 to 10 user license uh, per year. So it's actually really affordable for a small shop, and it's really powerful.
0: Nice. Um, I'm going to jump in with a few picks here. Um, my first pick is going to be um, just listening to soundtracks while you're working. Um, I figured out that, uh, well, I, w- I was looking to switch off of listening to podcasts while I work, because I figured out I get a whole lot more done when I don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somebody's laughing. Anyway, so, uh, so yeah, so I, uh, I just started Googling for um, good work soundtracks and uh, there are a ton out there. There are a ton of them on Spotify. There are a ton of them that I can just uh, tell the Amazon Echo to pick up. And uh, anyway, I, I super love that. Um, so I'm going to pick that. Um, a few. One other thing is by the time this goes live, I'm going to have a couple of Kickstarters out there, and I just want to throw those out um, because I've, I've heard a lot of people talking about uh, various podcasts that have shut down one of which is Ruby 5 um, so I've decided that if I can get enough support for it that I will actually um, start paying for the research for and then putting together a show like Ruby 5 so there are a couple of things about that one is is I'm doing the Kickstarter if you want the show then you need to go support the show on Kickstarter and I'll put a link to that in the show notes um, I have to go set up the Kickstarter first but by the time this goes live it'll be live um, the second thing is, um, I am looking probably for a co-host for that. Um, I'm going to ask the current panel of Ruby Rogues if they are interested in it. But if they're not, then I will also be opening up a um, uh, an audition. And so, um, anyway, keep an eye out for that as well. And finally, I, uh, I'm really excited about... Um, this new tool that I found that I've been using to invite people to the show, it's called 17 hats. And what it is, is you can actually set up workflows for various people in various situations. And so all I have to do is add the contact to 17 hats and then add them to the, invite them to Ruby rogues workflow. And then they get an email that says, Hey, look, here are all the details. Here's how you figure out when we're going to record. Um, you know, we'd love to have you on the show. And that seems to work out pretty well. So I'm really excited about that as well. Um, If you're in freelancing at all, it has invoicing options and things like that, which I actually use for uh, for the podcast sponsorships. And it integrates directly with QuickBooks. So it puts the invoice into QuickBooks. And then when people pay it, it marks it as paid and ties everything up neatly. And that makes my bookkeeper happy. So anyway, that's all really just awesome stuff that I'm using these days for a lot of this stuff. Uh, Carlos, what are your picks?
1: Very good. So, before I get, before I get to my picks, I, I do want to say, or I guess, second that idea of supporting the podcast. Now, obviously, the Kickstarter you know, might not appeal to you, but even giving feedback on the show, what you like about it, what topics you'd like to see, mm-hmm. all of those things, super important. Uh, you know, it, it can be a little bit challenging when you throw something out there on the podcast and you don't get much of a response, right? Do people love it? Do they hate it? <laughs> right? Talk to the hosts, right? They, 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 they really like that feedback. And then, of course, if you want to support them with the Kickstarter and some of these other projects that they're working on, they're going to appreciate that as well. And that will help them to continue to put out all this great content. So hopefully our conversation has uh, at least you know opened uh, the doors to a few more SQL Server installations and so once you do that, and you want to start getting some additional insights into that SQL Server, uh, my partner and I, Steve uh, Stedman, have put together a SQL Server monitoring tool. We it's free uh, to the community, you know, to everyone. You can find it at databasehealth.com. Uh, so currently, it only runs on Windows. So so, so there is that. We'll uh, we we'll start looking at the, at the Linux and version version here uh, uh, shortly. Uh, but that is going to give you kind of a graphical way to be able to peek into your environments and uh, and and start getting some some um you know analytics there. Also, just from a baselining perspective, or just to see how things change over time, it will capture that information. So that that you know then if you need to bring in someone from the data team uh, or whatnot, or or as your skills continue to to evolve, you'll be able to say, oh, I see there was a big change here. Either what did we do? Uh, could we apply something to, you know, to help combat that things like that and, and get some, get some better insights into your database. The other pick that I have is a YouTube video, uh, called not the future by the guys at bad lip reading. And oh my gosh, it's so <laughs> funny. This is the kind of the star Wars parody. And, uh, you know, so it go, you know, so even though it's not the future, uh, it it really happened a long, long time ago. And uh, one of the comments uh, that you know the guys mentioned is that the first time you're like, okay, that's pretty good. The second time you're like, that's really cool. And then like 500 listens later, you just belt out the chorus, right? You're just singing along because it's super catchy <laughs> and super funny, all at the same time. And uh, so that I want to leave that as my last pick uh, for today.
0: Awesome. Well, we really appreciate you coming, Carlos, and talking to us. Um, and hopefully, yeah. Some people go check out SQL Server. You know, maybe it's the tool that does the thing that your current tool doesn't do and, and that's what you need. Um, sure. And, and that's what we're looking for with these shows is just to, you know, help folks level up and solve problems and, and, and this is something that's out there that I don't think a lot of people reach for first and maybe maybe people should be considering it.
1: All right. And I guess I'll make an open invitation as well. If you're, because we have the podcast, and if you think there are topics that you don't see good, I'll say, support for uh, from an introductory perspective, or you'd like an overview in a panel type uh, conversation like this, uh, let me know, right? Uh, contact me and uh, let me know what the topic is, and we'll see if we can't put it together. And I'd be ha- happy
2: to do that for you.
0: All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up, and we'll catch you all next week.
2: All right. See you all later.
1: Take care
3: everyone.
0: Thanks, guys. Thanks, Carlos. That was awesome. That was awesome.
1: Oh good. I'm glad I <laughs> glad you enjoyed it.
2: It's always the, uh, awesome. Perfect.